0: Welcome to this session with Grace Point Church. I want to welcome the Grace Point family and also any guests who are with us here today. Uh, We are thankful that you are here through the power of this technology, that we can study God's Word together in this. Uh, We're studying through the book of Philippians, and last session we started a section uh, of examples of the submissive mind or humility. And uh, we're going to look at the second part of that session today, or that section of scripture. I was <clears throat> reading uh, Eugene Peterson's book, Earth and the Altar, and he writes this about atheism. By the way, when I was a brand new Christian, I was challenged not to be a practical atheist, a practical atheist. And there's some connection with atheism and being a pirate or piracy. Listen to Eugene Peterson's words. If I'm an atheist in my heart, making myself sovereign in the place of God, and therefore arranging things in accordance with my appetites, my needs, and my fantasies, I become a pirate in this society. I relentlessly look for ways in which I can get what there is for my own uses with no regard for what anyone else gets. If I'm an atheist in my heart, it is not long before I've become a cancer in the gut of the country, unquote. I think Peterson has it right. If he were alive with us today, he would definitely reaffirm that in our current culture and society. And so humility is countercultural to where we live at today in our Uh, in our country, and uh, for believers in Jesus Christ, we are called in chapter 1 verse 27 to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the predominant uh, command in Philippians, the first one actually in Philippians, and the rest of Philippians is really the application of how to live a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to live above our culture, live above uh, society in the way men work and rule. Sadly, uh, many Christians, uh, their character is being revealed in this crisis of a pandemic and a political season and so on. Uh, But crisis always reveals character. And I don't see much humility and submission and care for others in this kind of approach. And so it's difficult. It's grievous to God uh, in this. Uh, last week we looked at Timothy, the example of the Apostle Paul. In chapter 2 here, uh, he has outlined the basis of our unity and the heart of our unity and the actions that spell our unity Do nothing, in verse 3 of chapter uh, uh, 2, excuse me, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. And he goes on to use Christ as the supreme example. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, in his humility in his meekness. And remember, meekness is not weakness, but it is power under control. And Jesus Christ, the second uh, person of the Godhead, came to earth to do the will of the Father and to provide us with salvation. And he veiled his pre-incarnate glory, and he fulfilled the perfect sacrifice as the God-man for our sins, and died on the cross of Calvary. And then God highly exalted him. In fact, right now, Uh, Jesus is our advocate, he is our intercessor, he is our great high priest at the right hand of the Father. Because remember, Satan goes on to accuse us day by day. We still sin as believers in Jesus Christ, and we need a great high priest. We need an advocate and an intercessor before the righteous Holy Father. But for believers in Jesus Christ, we also have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, Paul tells us in Corinthians And so we have the power to live lives of godliness. We have the power to make good decisions and to see God glorified in our lives. And that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. It's not something we do in the flesh, but there is a responsibility. When we talk about the tense of salvation called sanctification, being set apart under God's holiness, the Spirit empowers us to make decisions to walk in his way to, excuse me, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and so it's possible for us to do that. Uh, In this passage, let me read for us today. We started last session in verse 19 of chapter 2. Remember the apostle Paul has given us Christ as the supreme example, and the apostle Paul is another example of what it means to have a submissive mind and live humbly. And, uh, you know, our tendency is to say, oh, sure, Christ is perfect. He's God, no wonder. And then Apostle Paul, the greatest uh, missionary and uh, apostle of probably all time. And and, uh, how can we, just mere human beings, do that? And so the Apostle Paul introduces us to two common everyday people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, And we looked at Timothy in our last session, and we're looking for Mark's of a submissive mind or mark's uh, characteristics of humility and how to live out the christian life these are examples for us But let me pick it up and read for you beginning in verse 25 uh, well in verses 19 through 24 we looked at timothy and we looked at three characteristics that timothy exhibited according to the apostle paul remember he had a kindred spirit with the apostle paul he was like souled. in other words he was so connected with Paul. He had the same purpose, and he was genuinely concerned for the people of Philippi. He had a servant's heart. He was willing to go to travel those dangerous miles from Rome uh, to uh, to Philippi uh, to tell them about the Apostle Paul and to encourage them. And so we looked at Timothy last session. This session we'll look at the second person. That is Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. I'll read these for you, 25 through 30. It completes chapter 2. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister of my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me." And so the Apostle Paul is pointing out, he's pointing out Timothy, first of all, as a kindred spirit, genuinely concerned, servant-hearted, like a son to the Apostle Paul. Remember, Timothy was with Paul in Acts 16 when they planted the church at Philippi. They're both vitally concerned in understanding these people. And now he goes to Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus is probably the one, maybe even the pastor of the church at Philippi, or a leader, certainly. And he brought a gift, a financial gift for the apostle Paul in Rome, because remember, a Roman prisoner was not taken care of by the state. He had to buy his own lodging, his own house, uh, or his own uh, food and uh, sustenance. And so the church was helping the Apostle Paul. And part of the reason or the purpose of the letter to the church at Philippi was to thank them uh, for how uh, generous they had been to him. And so there is a power of submission, a power of a submissive mind, love and humility. That is the message of Philippians chapter 2. In chapter 1, we saw we have a single-minder. We are to be focused on Jesus Christ, his supremacy, his preeminence. And here in chapter 2 is the expression or the application of that single mind in chapter 1. Uh, that power in chapter 2. We learn that uh, people are to love humbly and selfishly, especially in the midst of strained relationships. They are to promote unity and joy. Paul's big idea here, the idea of unity, being together as a church, The church at philippi needed this message remember when we read uh, especially the epistles it's like listening to one end of a phone call the apostle paul knows what's going on in philippi epaphroditus is reported to him timothy is reported to him and now he's responding to the things he's heard but we don't hear Uh, what Epaphroditus exactly said, or or don't hear what the Philippian believers are saying, uh, but we can draw some conclusions. The church in Philippi needed this message. There were women who were disagreeing, chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Some of them were arguing and complaining. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul shares the attitudes and actions that will restore peace in the midst of strained relationships. We need this counsel to keep the peace. Remember, we we're called peacemakers uh, in, in relationships. It's always a challenge. What well, we learn in this chapter from the Apostle Paul how to unify relationships by humbling, looking uh, looking out for the, the needs and the de- interests of other people. So the question is always, are we walking with joy, living with joy in our relationships, whether it's in our family or workplace In our community, in our church family, Uh, belief uh, informs our attitudes and our attitudes are worked out in our actions, how we live our life. And the Apostle Paul gives us these two co-laborers for examples of uh, marks or characteristics of a a submissive mind. And so Paul introduces us to these very uh, ordinary people who served with him. And so we've looked at Timothy last session, and now with Epaphroditus, uh, the final three marks or three characteristics we see here in these verses I've read for you. The first one in verse 25 is loyalty. Verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs. So it is a life well lived, Epaphroditus says. Loyalty to an individual, loyalty to a community of faith. Epaphroditus traveled all those miles carrying this gift to bring it to the Apostle Paul and report to him what is going on. So there's a mark of loyalty that is a mark of a brother and fellow worker and a fellow soldier. And it is so critical in the act of serving in a church whatever church you're a part of, when you're part of that community, you, the, 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 the community really needs a sense of godliness, a sense of loyalty, and a sense of competency in your ministry. And the Apostle Paul uh, identifies them in these ways. It's a property here. What is true greatness in life? You know, we're bombarded with what it means to be great, whether it's from pop culture, from various leadership books, uh, what is true greatness in life? Is it how long we live, how famous, or how rich we become at retirement? Jesus says the measure of a life is our service, the good we do for others. Out of this spirit comes every Christian college and school and Christian orphanage and beneficial work in the whole world. George W. Truett, who is a great Baptist preacher, said this, and I quote him, it is not the talents one has that makes him great, however many and brilliant they may be. It is not the vast amount of study that gives mental enrichment to the mind and life. <clears throat> it is not the shining social qualities. It is not the large accumulation of wealth that secures peace and honor. In none of these measured in, in none of these measured by God's standards does greatness reside. True greatness consists of the use of our talents one has in the unselfish ministry to others. I think, uh, unquote, and I think of General William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, and his little motto was, Christ, others than me. Christ, others than me. And we see this in the loyalty, this mark of loyalty that uh, Epaphroditus had to the Apostle Paul greatly, more greatly, to the, Lord, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls him a brother. It's based on the blood of Christ, When we call another believer a brother or a sister. Uh, we're rightly related because of what Jesus Christ has done by his blood. We are a fellow worker, the common goal, the glory of Christ. Both the Apostle Paul and the Epaphroditus wanted the glory of Christ to shine forth, And a fellow soldier and that's a common danger. Not only do we have a common bond in the blood of Christ and a common goal in the glory of Christ, but we have a common danger in the battle for Christ to live the Christian life. And sadly, many Christian leaders fall by the wayside. Uh, I had a study when I was uh, in seminary that uh, most men in the Bible who failed, failed in the last half of their lives. And we see that around us in our current culture and in many Christian leaders and celebrity leaders who have fallen into immorality and other things. And so that common bond as a brother in the blood of Christ, common goal as a fellow worker for the glory of Christ, and a common danger as a fellow soldier in the battle for Christ to stand up and live for Jesus Christ, loyalty. I was reading about uh, John Brody you probably don't remember him, but he was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers a long time ago. <clears throat> but he was once asked why a multimillion-dollar salaried player and a quarterback like him should have to hold the ball when they kick the field goal and points after touchdown. And a, a reporter asked John Brody that, and John Brody thought for a minute. And he said, well, if I didn't do it, it would fall over there's an example of humility in knowing what the common goal for the team was and the common good for the team. So loyalty to the individual, then loyalty to the community of faith. He's called a messenger and a minister. A messenger, that apostolic ministry of taking the message back to the church of Philippi in verse 25. And a minister, literally a servant, literally a servant. Dwight L. Moody who uh, was a great evangelist in the 1800s. He said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. And with that simple commitment, God used him to bring revival to England and America, and a great uh, educational institution is founded in Chicago, bearing his name. So loyalty loyalty to the cause, Loyalty to Jesus Christ. The second mark of uh, the three marks that Epaphroditus exhibits is compassion. Compassion. Look at verses 26 through 27. Verse 26, because he was longing for you all. That's a desire, that's a motive, but based on a relationship. He was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. Evidently, Epaphroditus fell ill while he was in Rome. And Paul goes on to explain, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And so he was compassionate. He was a man of compassion. He was compassionate for others, compassionate because of God's compassion, his mercy, because God showed mercy to him. And this was a, a tough time for Paul when Epaphroditus was ill. So compassionate because of God's mercy. Uh, Alan Redpath wrote that you can never lighten the load of someone else until you have felt that pressure in your own soul. You are never used for God to bring a blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see the things as they really are. It's an awareness of what is going on. So loyalty, compassion have marked, characterized Epaphroditus. The third one is found in 28 through 30, and that is purpose. Purpose. Look at verse 28. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Purposeful actions of others. So there's a purpose for, for Epaphroditus being sent back to Philippi. And this purposeful attitude, not only actions, but attitude. Verse 29. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard uh, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. So purposeful attitudes and then purposeful risk for Christ. He was willing to risk his life as he brought this gift to complete what the church of Philippi had been deficient in, but now they had sent this gift to him and to hazard one's life in that. The Greek word is... uh, Para, parabol, if I can pronounce it right, Parabolani, and in the early church there were societies of men and women who called themselves the Parabolani, and that were they were the risk-takers. They ministered to the sick and imprisoned, and they saw to it, if all possible, that martyrs and sometimes even enemies would receive an honorable burial. Thus, in the city of Carthage during the great pestilence, A.D. 257. excuse me, 252, Cyprian, the bishop showed remarkable courage in self-sacrificing fidelity to his flock and even love for his enemies. He took upon himself the care for the sick and bade his congregation to nurse them and bury the dead. What a contrast to the practice of the heathen who were uh, throwing corpses out of the plague-stricken city and running away in terror. So... The Apostle Paul commends Epaphroditus' loyalty, his compassion, and <clears throat> his purpose in life. So what is your impact in others' lives? What is your impact? Is it positive or negative? Are you being a positive influence in a culture that is a culture of rage? Are you being a positive contributor in the communication Of Christ in whether it's social media or within your own family or in the community. Am I a change agent for godliness in other people's lives? A change agent for godliness? Have I expressed verbally my love for and appreciation for others? Starts in our own families. And am I helping others realize their potential in life? Are they becoming fruitful and better people because of my friendship? And so development of the of a submissive mind is needed to maintain unity in the community of Christ, and this is accomplished when believers are characterized by these Christ-like attitudes of like-mindedness, concern, servanthood, loyalty, compassion, and purpose. There is a woman who writes poetry, and her name is Ruth harms Calkin and she talks about humility in this poem. She says, I wonder, This is the title of the poem is, I wonder. You know, Lord, I wonder how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at women's clubs. You know my genuine enthusiasm to lead a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw me and nobody knew. You know, James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ and became a believer following the death and resurrection of Christ. James was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And uh, the little letter bearing his name is probably the earliest Old Testament book, or New Testament book written. And Paul was undoubtedly familiar with James' writing. And I wonder if the following was under, on Paul's minds when he encouraged other believers in this way in chapter 2. James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect completely and lacking nothing. James speaks of trials of many kinds in verse 2. And we have suffered trials of many kinds, not only uh, maybe socially and politically and personally, but uh, instead of beating a hasty retreat, uh, from those circumstances, he urges a st- really strange emotional s- response to consider it all joy. Joy goes beyond just keeping a stiff upper lip during difficult times. Joy is to us a value, to value the way that such trials shape our life and our faith. The reason why we are to count it joy comes after the word because. He explains that when his faith is tested, it produces perseverance. You know, in this pandemic year, and as we've yet to meet again personally in worship, there is perseverance that is needed and testing of our faith is genuine. And the tested faith is a mature faith. And I pray for you all that you're growing in your faith and not just sitting idle or backsliding, that you're growing in your faith. James also explains that we have a resource to turn to in times of trouble. We have God who cares and gives generously, to us in times of need. Verse 5 of that chapter of James. We endure in times of trouble, counting it all joy, turning it all over to God who supplies all our needs. Does loyalty, compassion, and purpose in Jesus Christ mark your life and mine? Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you that you teach us this day. And I pray for each one that they would have their eyes fixed upon you and they would see the blessings each day and have great joy even in the midst of difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna send you out with this benediction. It was actually a benediction written by Gordon MacDonald, but I think it's appropriate for this day in this session. He writes, I have this benediction for you. As you leave the sanctuary, whether the sanctuary is your living room or you're listening on uh, your computer wherever you are. As you leave this sanctuary, make it sure that you are clothed in the vast and awesome love of the heavenly Father. If you should tum- stumble or fall, it will be that very love that will draw draw you back into His presence. Be careful to it seize every opportunity to reflect God's love in words and actions towards others. Do not be angry selfish or arrogant person but in response to god's love let your patience and kindness flow towards those who are weaker and more vulnerable than you if you are intentional about these things the blessings of god god's love will be upon you remember we shall stand before him someday and all our thoughts all our deeds will be made known in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit i bade you farewell Amen and amen. Go in God's grace and may your week be a week where you see God's blessings and are humbly gracious and grateful for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.